Carolyn, thank you very much for that very nice introduction. What a privilege it is to be here at the National Portrait Gallery, part of the Smithsonian Institution, uh, one of our most uh, prestigious institutions in Washington, D.C. And what an honor it is to be a family member here to speak a little bit about my grandfather's painting of Mamie Eisenhower. It's my belief that this particular painting is uh, probably the first he did of my grandmother. There are several uh, that were done of Mamie Eisenhower by Ike, uh, but uh, many of them look like his skill has uh, been more developed. Uh, I like this picture because it's 1952 when he paints this. He is still at NATO headquarters uh, outside of Paris, France, uh, and he is under a lot of pressure to consider running for the presidency. 1952, Mamie Eisenhower actually wasn't well known at all. And uh, the thing that uh, amused me particularly about this is uh, a reminder after that wonderful introduction of uh, one of the principal ways that Mamie Eisenhower burst onto the national scene. Uh, right after the war, uh, during General uh, George C. Marshall's retirement party, uh, the uh, MC was quite overtaken by all of the brass sitting in the audience. Uh, at this very uh, formal dinner, and sort of trying to get a grip on himself, he got up and he said, we're here to honor General Marshall, and General Marshall tells me he can't wait to retire to Leesburg with Mrs. Eisenhower. <laughs> and there was, um, I don't think they were laughing in the room that evening, there was a kind of stifled uh, discomfort a little bit, little murmurs. And then the MC uh, caught himself, realized his mistake, and he said, my apologies to the general. <laughs> and then there was more laughter, and the MC covered in confusion was probably even more startled when Mamie Eisenhower piped up and said, which general? <laughs> <laughs> that was only a couple of years before this painting was done. Uh, and uh, this, I think, gave the... Um, the public a little idea of what was in store, because Mamie Eisenhower had a marvelous sense of humor. Uh, she loved um, self-deprecating humor in particular, and you can see a little bit of that sauciness in this picture. Well, in 1952, my grandparents, as I said, were in NATO. My grandfather just taken up painting, and he took it up in about 1948 when he became president of Columbia University. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think he was rather intrigued by Winston Churchill, his uh, wartime uh, colleague and uh, dear friend. And Winston took his painting very seriously. Winston thought that his paintings were an expression of his inner soul and that this was some kind of uh, extension of his own capacity to uh, communicate in such a brilliant way. I think my grandfather decided to take it up because he was having a series of portraits taken of himself. Uh, this was the preferred way to be remembered in those days. And there were some stunning paintings that came out of that period of Dwight Eisenhower. As a matter of fact, one of them hangs in the National Portrait Gallery, uh, done by Thomas Stevens, the very person who encouraged Ike to take up painting. Uh, Tom Stevens did many, many Eisenhower paintings, the magnificent painting of Eisenhower in his full-dress military uniform at Columbia University hangs in the Lowell Library, of course the one I just mentioned here at the National Portrait Gallery, uh, and many other very fine uh, examples of Tom Stevens. Anyway, Tom Stevens was commissioned to do one of General Eisenhower and Mamie Eisenhower, and somewhere in this process, 
I think I got rather intrigued by how the colors were mixed for these paintings, and Stevens encouraged him to take this up. Now, you know, in order to really fully appreciate this story, you have to go back and think about what times were like then. People actually thought it was important to get away from work and to have some solitude <laughs> and to think about the major questions they were dealing with. So Eisenhower saw painting as a terrific way to kind of blow off steam. Blow off steam in this case would be defined as simply going somewhere else in your head. Uh, and I think this was a uh, way that he really uh, let a lot of the pressure of his day sort of melt away. Well, he was very self-deprecating too. Uh, he loved to elevate his uh, subjects, but he was always making funny little remarks about uh, his skill as a painter. Uh, he called it uh, his, his enterprise magnificent audacity uh, to take this up. And he actually uh, wrote Winston Churchill, I thought, a rather charming note about what it was like to uh, take up this effort. Uh, in 1950, just two years before this painting was done, he wrote to Churchill, I've had a lot of fun since I took it up in my somewhat miserable way, your hobby of painting. I have no instruction, I have no talent, and certainly no justification for covering a nice white canvas with the kind of daubs that seem to spring constantly from the brushes. I like it tremendously, and in fact, have produced two or three things I like well enough to keep. <laughs> this was one of them, because it was my grandmother who uh, gave this painting to me. Uh, I have to say, uh, before describing a little bit more about how my grandmother became one of the chief subjects of his uh, paintings, uh, a little story about my own. Because you see, not only did Eisenhower like to uh, you know, do this for pleasure and maybe to relieve some of the pressure of work, but he found over time that it was a great way to remember people. Uh, and so actually there's a rather uh, stunning series of paintings he did of his wartime comrades. He did a magnificent painting of Winston Churchill himself. Uh, I think it's one of his very best. Um, but he never did it from life. He liked to concentrate on uh, kind of copying of, of, of photographer's rendering. Uh, so the uh, painting of Winston Churchill done by Dwight Eisenhower is taken after the famous picture that Karsh uh, produced, I think, uh, probably just after the war. Um, probably his most magnificent portrait, uh, I wish I could have provided this for this show, though I think this is a, a, a charming first effort at my grandmother, is the never-to-be-forgotten portrait of Field Marshal Montgomery. This particular portrait hangs in the British Embassy in Washington, D.C., uh, there as a gift from uh, the late Walter Annenberg, uh, who bought it at auction. But it is a magnificently sympathetic portrait of his wartime comrade. Uh, and so he did this. He found um, many subjects in his friends. He did not paint them from life, uh, but he painted them from portraits. And then he'd put little secret uh, messages into the painting, uh, which was always fun. I know that he did a wonderful portrait, for instance, of Ellis Slater, one of his bridge partners, uh, and he had a deck of cards on the table uh, that he had worked into this painting. Uh, and now, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to tell you about my prized possession. It's so special, of course, to have a, a, a portrait of Mamie Eisenhower, but Ike also loved landscapes. They were always serene pastoral landscapes, almost as perhaps a direct result of seeing far too much destruction uh, during the war. 
Uh, but when he got the news of my birth, I hate to tell you what year that was, but I'll, I'll, I'll fess up. Uh, it was uh, the last day of 1951. Uh, he decided the way he was going to welcome me into the world would be to do um, a very small painting of the scene from his view at NATO headquarters. Uh, this is at the uh, mansion uh, for the commander and uh, his wife. And so it, it's called a French garden. And if you go onto the internet, you'll actually see uh, a copy of this. In any case, um, as typical Dwight Eisenhower, um, he had uh, the message side of the postcard was the painting. And on the uh, pictorial side of the postcard normally sent was a birthday postcard that said happy birthday in French. Uh, and then he signed it for me, uh, 1951. So just the year before, he did this painting of Mamie. Um, and it, it shows, if you look at it carefully, it shows a playfulness in her eyes. Uh, she was uh, the five-star commander of the, uh, the women's team. She was there at the Wardman Park during World War II with the wives of the commanders uh, and the generals uh, who were serving in Europe with my grandfather. Uh, and she managed to uh, execute her responsibilities magnificently. And this painting, along with the others, are really an expression of that affection, no question. She was a piece of work. She regarded her, one of her big roles was to keep him jollied along, which was a worthy thing if you think that he came from a household whose motto was sink or swim, survive or perish. Mamie Eisenhower had a lot of work to do when she first met him, but she provided the kind of atmosphere that made it possible for him to put the real burdens that he faced into some kind of uh, perspective. Uh, she made him stronger uh, as a man, stronger as a, as a leader, uh, and she stood up to him. She stood up to him, and I think you can see a little bit of that resolve in this painting, too. So why don't I leave it there, except to say that uh, it's also good news for those of us who are no longer uh, in our 20s. He took up painting when he was 58 years old and had enough time in what remained of his life to paint 300 daubs, as he called them. Uh, and so I'd love to take questions. Uh, I'm sure you have, have them. I hope you do anyway. And nothing's uh, off limits, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, well, you see, actually, you see um, a very interesting version of Mamie's bangs in this painting. And her hairdo evolved a little bit um, because uh, at certain times, if you'll see, especially during the White House years, her uh, bangs are a little bit tighter than they are in this picture. This is very much of a 1940s picture because though it was painted in 1952, uh, it actually is of a picture taken in the 1940s, probably during the war. What I found absolutely intriguing about this um, is that when the National Portrait Gallery um, asked that this be included in the show, uh, we decided to go on a little archaeological dig here and to take off the back of the frame to see if there were any evidence of when the painting was painted. And what we now know from the other side is that, in fact, it was painted in 1952, uh, that it is uh, taken from a photograph uh, that was uh, made of Mamie in the 1940s. But I think the really intriguing part is there was a card inside this painting that had a gold embossed uh, crown. It looks like the British crown. And that piece of cardboard was filling up the gap between the painting and the backing. 
Now, you know, I was wondering to myself, knowing how he loved to put these little secret things in paintings, whether she had been, uh, right after the war, uh, Ike and Mamie uh, visited Balmoral uh, Castle uh, with um, King George and the person who's now, of course, Queen Elizabeth II today. And it may well have been that that card was picked up at that time uh, and included in this photograph. I wouldn't rule it out, but it doesn't look like a, a crown that comes from an advertisement. It's on, on a, a stiff, um, a, a kind of a stiff board, and I'm not sure, uh, sort of a heavy stock stationery, perhaps, or something else. But I think that adds to some of its intrigue and makes me wonder what's behind many of those other paintings um, that are, of course, in many homes in America. And uh, of course, I have several others myself. Perhaps before I take another question, I should say that I was very fortunate to stand behind him many times while he was doing his paintings. And I have a uh, painting that he did in 1957 in the Eisenhower presidency. That was a big year. Uh, that's the year of Sputnik. It's the year of um, the, um, you know, many of the, the most important moments of early civil rights um, matters. Uh, and I, I think that 57 is Little Rock. And I, no doubt he needed a little time away from the office. He was painting a, a, a landscape of a, of a lake with mountains, and I stood behind him and admired it. And before you know it, it was down off the easel, put into a frame, and sent. Uh, to my home where I lived with my parents in Alexandria. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I have maybe more than my share of these paintings because I figured out pretty early on that it, there was a lot to be said for standing behind Ike while he was doing his paintings. <laughs> I'm sure we have another question here. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, how did your grandfather tend to disperse his paintings? Did he give them as gifts to friends or was there some other mechanism by which they have ended up all over the World? Well, I th I, there, there, it, it happened in two ways, I think, or maybe even three. Uh, first of all, I think after he realized that he wasn't completely laughed out of uh, the salons of New York, uh, that he, uh, uh, you know, got really into it. And then he realized that they would make nice gifts. So you have a category of, of people who received his landscapes that maybe didn't have a connection to him, but they were just gifts, always coming with you know, massive apologies about the poor skills and his love of color, and this was just uh, an act of enthusiasm, basically. Uh, then you'd get the, the kind uh, that I described earlier, the Churchill painting. I know that the portrait of Field Marshal Montgomery was given to Montgomery. It was in his home for uh, quite some time. Uh, so you had that category. Actually, he painted all of his grandchildren. I have a painting he did of me uh, when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, and so, of course, those were presented to the person. Uh, by the way, that was taken from a photo. He didn't do it in real life. I've got to tell you something really intriguing here. I only know of one portrait, though I'm not an expert um, in the whole range of uh, paintings he did, but I have come across one portrait that was done uh, in person. Somebody sat for it. And it came from the most unusual place you could imagine. After the war, uh, the uh, generals who had been engaged in the European theater uh, took a little R&R in Garmisch, Germany. And they were staying at what was at that time a, a guest house run by the United States military. And uh, Granddad just got the impulse uh, to 
do some painting. This is probably while he's at NATO as well. And so he asked the maitre d' of the hotel if he would sit for it. This was a German uh, who had lived in, you know, in Bavaria during the war, and this gentleman sat for this painting. It was only two years ago that I met the subject's son, uh, who showed me this painting. It's absolutely lovely, of a German man in Lederhosen, uh, taken there in the Alps of Germany uh, just only years after World War II. Uh, and so that's the only one I know of that was actually uh, done you know, as, a, as a seated portrait. And then one final thing I'd say about this, then there was yet another category. I guess um, there's nothing like uh, positive feedback, whether genuine or ungenuine, <laughs> because um, sometime in the 1950s, he decided that these, uh, I think he was highly selective about what he sent out, uh, but he sent them as Christmas cards um, from the White House. And they came in large envelopes like this. Um, and I don't know exactly who was on the list, but probably if you go to eBay, you'll see some of these. Um, he did um, some very fine portraits, actually, of Abraham Lincoln. I can think of about three of those. It's the young Abe who I think stands out as being really an original, uh, more of an original rendering. Uh, he did George Washington, a couple of those, and uh, he did Robert E. Lee. And so he um, produced at least a number of those historic figures for these Christmas cards from the White House. Uh, then there were a number of uh, landscapes of places where he'd lived. But it's, it's a rather intriguing thing to do for uh, a Christmas card. However, they were magnificently uh, put together in large envelopes with tissue paper and the whole thing. So I doubt if there was a big mass mailing, but that was long before. Um, you know, 10,000 of a president's closest friends got Christmas cards. <laughs> yes. Um, I just wanted to, just to remark that um, my, my father from Turkey, he was one of the first officers sent to NATO in 1952 and in Sheikh Village, Sheikh Village, so I just want, I didn't realize that, that it was painted. Yes, it was, it was exactly painted at that time. It was always very proud that he had served under General Eisenhower, oh. the end of his life. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And uh, I, I'm sure that your father might have even recognized the view that my painting uh, was, was done from. It was a charming little uh, French garden, as I say. And, and I have to tell you that perhaps in addition to uh, regarding this as one of my prized possessions, I'm equally happy with a letter found by uh, a scholar in the archives uh, with Ike writing to uh, one of his colleagues saying that the painting he did for me was the best one he'd ever done. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my grandmother, you know, who I told you she knew how to, to stand up to him and make her um, interests and her desires known, um, liked that painting he did for me so much that she um, begged him to do a larger version of it um, for their house, which he did. And so the larger version of my painting hangs over their bed uh, in the Gettysburg uh, farmhouse, which is now open to the public, but hung for many years in the White House, uh, in their bedroom in the White House. So, <laughs> yes. What media did he use? Was it, is that watercolor? No, he was. Um, I don't think he. I don't know that he ever attempted watercolor. Maybe he tried, but he was. Um, very involved with oil paints. And I think it probably, um, having once taken a watercolor class myself, I think probably oil painting suits somebody who 
uh, picks it up and puts it down. I mean, uh, you know, we know in watercolor the, the right amount of moisture has to be on the paper, and it's very tricky, and you have to do it in sort of one fell swoop. But uh, no, this uh, oil painting was, was his medium, and uh, it became such a, an important thing to him uh, that there was a room at the farm in Gettysburg uh, next uh, to the barn uh, that was the framing room. And his valet, Sergeant Money, who had been with him during World War II uh, from the North African campaign onwards, uh, came into retirement uh, with my grandparents. And he was sort of in charge of the framing room. I think he did a lot of the frames himself, John Money, but he was also, this is very funny, he also never followed instructions because, you know, if, if my grandfather got a little frustrated with this, he says, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to see this again. So Sergeant Money would dutifully take it away and put it in a closet in the framing room. So after Ike died, uh, you know, this treasure trove of half-finished um, paintings came out, and you get some idea of which subjects were easier for him than others. Uh, as a matter of fact, the very last painting that he did before he had his stroke and uh, went to the hospital and did not return uh, was one of Colleen Castle in Scotland, which um, he was uh, deeply associated with. The Scottish people had uh, given him the, uh, the castle for his lifetime use, and though he was only there uh, maybe three or four times in his life, you know, just for a day or two, the gesture that the Scots did something so personal as to share one of their homes with him meant a great deal. So that half-painted uh, portrait of Clane Castle is on his easel at the farm in Gettysburg. And it's, it's rather sad because he never was able to come back and finish that painting. It's, it stays on that easel and has never left that easel in a rather haunting way. <laughs> yes. um, I, I was curious whether he did any self-portraits. Well, you know, not that I know of. And I've, I've never seen one. I think, first of all, um, part of the reason he wrote this uh, uh, no talent, uh, you know, the audacity of this and all of the apologies about his daubs and this and that is that I think he really feared um, that people would think he was trying to aspire to some kind of status beyond sheer uh, enthusiastic amateur. Uh, I think it's um, also a little bit indicative again of the times. A lot of people painted uh, for pleasure that this was something that you would take up. It was a social skill that you learned how to do. Um, I remember once one of the most um, striking exhibitions I've ever seen, and I don't know what it tells us about anything other than the fact that somebody had the genius to put this exhibit together, but it was, port it was uh, the paintings of Winston Churchill, Dwight Eisenhower, and Adolf Hitler. Um, Hitler, too, was a painter, and actually you get uh, certainly a sense of uh, these three men's personalities by looking at these paintings. But, I dare say that many enthusiasts were unleashed in those days to take up painting uh, uh, who would not have otherwise uh, done so, largely because, again, there was a culture for um, finding um, time to contemplate, to be quiet, to uh, settle in and um, gain some perspective on work. And I dearly wish we could all start taking up painting now. It might do us some good. <laughs> yes. Oh, the hobbies of my grandmother. Well, that's, that's a very interesting question. She, first of all, she loved cards. And of course, that was another pastime of, of that day. I don't know that you'd actually call that a hobby. Uh, but she, uh, was, she was a good card player. 
The only problem is that he was, he was almost a genius card player. And uh, he played with um, bridge masters. He had put himself partially through uh, West Point on his poker earnings, which he decided to stop playing poker because he kept winning and he was worried about who had to settle up their debts. So, I mean, his colleagues, right? So he gave up poker. But he was a very good card player. And I do have a memory from childhood that's kind of funny because uh, they, they rarely played cards together because they have two very strong personalities. And she came from a family of four girls and he came from a family of six surviving sons. So this is Mars and Venus at the card table. And I remember him saying to her once, why did you play that card? And she said, because I felt like it. <laughs> anyway, they didn't play cards together, but she loved solitaire. And she, uh, there was a game called Mahong, which was very popular at the time. Uh, and then you know, she, was, um, she was a very fine collector of um, antiques. And actually, a little-known fact started the Art and Antiques program at the White House. Uh, she uh, was the person who uh, got the donation for the um, Vermilion collection there and had begun to uh, get donations. Of course, it was famously uh, brought to public attention by Jacqueline Kennedy, who did a magnificent job of uh, decorating the White House. But the Eisenhower period was between uh, right after the Truman Restoration, and so there was no redecorating at the White House at that time during those eight years. In any case, she, uh, she also, I don't know if you'd call this a hobby, uh, but she was very spirited about her approach to other people, uh, which is why she turned out to be an enormous asset during the 1952 campaign. First of all, as an army brat, uh, I'm sorry, as an army wife, she had lived all over the country. Um, I think she moved 37 times in 37 years, uh, in some years five times. Um, and so she lived everywhere. She had a story to tell about absolutely every region of the country and frankly at least three, three uh, foreign um, continents. They lived in Europe twice, they lived in Panama, the Panama Canal Zone and also in the Philippines. So she, they'd lived in Europe, Latin America and Asia and a lot of communities in the United States. So she had this uh, correspondence that she kept, and you might call that her hobby. She had more people writing her who got responses from her who she'd never met. And I can't, uh, often on occasions like this, I'll go places and people will have their Mamie letter, and I'll say, oh, did you ever meet her? And they'd say, oh, no, but uh, we wrote her a get well card, and she wrote us a long newsy letter. And then <laughs> I look at this letter, and it's saying, um, uh, Susie came for lunch today on Saturday. I'm thinking, that's me, and you've got this. <laughs> so she had this uh, correspondence going on with the American people. Um, and when my grandfather had his heart attack in 1955, she wrote 10,000 letters. She answered personally every letter that came um, as a get well. So I guess if you're returning people's letters on that scale, you could say it has to be something akin to a hobby, um, or at least a big part of what she regarded as her job description. But she got enormous pleasure from it. And uh, certainly in the 1952 campaign, there were analysts who said that she was responsible for a considerable number of electoral votes uh, for this effort. So thank you, Susan, for your wonderful <laughs>